Germany's social market economy combined free markets with a strong welfare state. It becomes the social democratic party. Yes, we can. Education, education, and education. Hello and welcome to the Centre Think Tank's podcast, the Centrist podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will Barber-Taylor. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by the two hosts of the Big Issues podcasts. Gentlemen, if you would like to introduce yourselves. I'm Daud Khan. I am the co-host of the Big Issues podcast. And go on, James, present yourself. I'm Daud Joseph. I'm James and I'm also the co-host of the Big Issues podcast. Very sound, man. Very sound. Uh, we, I'm currently studying, currently university, studying at MMU politics, and James is still at sixth form. Uh, yeah, I'm still at sixth form. Like a good man. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, welcome both to the podcast. Now, the first question that I like to ask is, yeah. what made you decide to do the podcast in the first place? What What was it that made you think one day, right, we both want to do this particular podcast? Right, okay, this is an interesting story. James and I have known each other for the better part of five and a half years, okay? We went to uh, school together, we went to college together. And every, because James practically lives down the road from where I live, we had to go on the same bus every day. And for the better part of five years, I spent the morning ranting about what's going on with the world, what's going on with domestic policy, and getting more and more uh, analytical. And James's responses were coming better, and my ideas were developing. Uh, as I left in June 2021, I decided to create some form of public podcast, some form of discussion that we could keep it going. Now, a good friend of mine, Harry Aldridge, was going to do a podcast with me back in January. That got ditched because he had to do his GCSE. So I decided to take his idea of doing a podcast. I learned how to use Anchor. And then I decided to get James and I decided to get Michael onto the podcast. And initially, it was just sort of like a free-flowing discussion. So the first episode was about welfare reform, then it was about the Democratic Party leaders, then it was about um, trade, and then about Republicans, and we were just, it was a free-flowing discussion, but then now we're at episode 29, it's become more planning, pre-planned research, develop ideas, pl- think it through methodically, but I suppose in a, in a, in a short answer, it's because I wanted to continue having conversations, conversations with my mates. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, I got, um, I was, when Dowd left, when Dowd left us, I wanted to keep in contact with Dowd. And then out of the blue, suddenly, they, well, we, we did talk about jokingly on the boss of Dowd, as Dowd said, when he was halfway through his rant. We did uh, we did jokingly mention about a podcast, maybe, something like that. We should, mm-hmm. we should start our news channel or something like that. So, and um, and basically what happened was one day, Dowd, Dowd just messaged me and said, do, do, do you want to start a podcast? And I thought, that's a brilliant idea. I like I like talking about politics. Dow likes talking about politics. It's no different to what we've been doing for the past five years. Why not? Why not upload it? And and it was a very good idea from Dow. But now, but now I notice he nicked it. In fairness, we're not nicking. Me and Harry had developed a podcast idea together. It's just because he backed out because he had Jesus sees to do. Yeah. I decided to immediately bring James and Michael on board. Of course, Michael Chilino was actually a great addition for the first nine episodes, but he had his own commitments. So for the last 20 odd episodes, it's just been me and James practically co-hosting a podcast. And we do British politics. We bring Harry Aldridge on. And when it's American politics, me and James 
do a discussion about it. It started initially as sort of me giving a long sermon about, you know, Rosie Bell and Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> now it's more of a full discussion. But yeah, it's really good. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see that it has taken a, a very interesting and, and, and certainly in terms of the podcast that I've encountered, a unique uh, pathway of evolution from the discussions on the bus to the podcast that um, you now both host. Now, I'd, I'd like to turn to what we're going to be discussing today, mainly um, on this episode of the podcast, which is centrism yes. and the concept of um, centrist politics now the the first question that i'd like to ask in in relation to this is when did you first become aware of centrism and what first attracted you to it as a discussion a, a, a topic of discussion okay well i think i think for me um uh, i think when centrism was a discussing um it was probably me and down on the bus to be fair actually <laughs> thinking about it and uh well i remember i remember um, I remember talking to my dad on, and I said, oh, we we're talking about Tony Blair or something like that. And then my dad said, yeah, but he's really a Tory in disguise, wasn't he, Tony, uh, Tony Blair? I said, what? And he said, well, he wasn't, he wasn't really like a full, you know, left-wing socialist Labour Party leader. And I was thinking, well, he, he's representing the Socialist Party. How can he not be a socialist leader? So, so, so then I went online and did some research. He's Tony Blair socialist. And they came up with this word like Tony Blair was a liberal socialist or Tony Blair was a centrist. And then I did some research into it. And then... Uh, and then, and then throughout time, I've heard more and more about centrism. I've noticed it's more of a combination of centre-left, centre-right ideas, the ideas from the Conservatives, ideas from the Lib Dems, ideas from Labour, all combined together. And I've become more and more appealed to it. I mean, before, I was very left-wing. I mean, I was like Jeremy Corbyn type left-wing. But now now I've seen the centrist and I've gone more over the centrist side of it. I mean, 2015 was when I first discovered Tony Blair, discovered his ideas. Um I'll tell you when I first became supportive of centrism was actually in 2020. On, for the first five years of my political life, I was basically a, a, a socialist stroke Marxist. I believed passionately in nationalisation and wealth creation and taxation for the wealthy, etc. But it was the time I had in lockdown where I started actually thinking through my ideas rather than acting on emotional impulses, but thinking through it logically. And I started listening to people like Milton Friedman, people like Ronald Reagan, then started going to the multiple centrists, people like Bill Clinton and Tony Blair. And then I developed my outlook on a more centrist platform. Um, to answer a question within a question, which is what do I think centrism is? I believe it's more triangulation. You take the best from the left, best from the right, and bring it together in an amalgam of what the people want. So on the left, things like the National Health Service, things like unemployment, uh, education, you can easily be on the left. Most sane, rational people are on the left, but on things like taxation, welfare reform, defence, foreign policy, international affairs, most sane, logical people are on the right, and you bring it together and you get centrism. There are those who believe centrism is moderation. I think that's also a perfectly uh, legitimate outlook on the centre, but I think centrists are people who are triangulators or moderators, but are willing to come to the compromises and make good deals for the people, whether on health, education or welfare, et cetera. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting though that, I mean, you've both been attracted to this particular um, ideological uh, form of discussion at, at, at a relatively young age. Now, I, I think both of you would agree that most people of a, a similar age to yourselves would perhaps not be enthusiastic centrists or, or, or necessarily be engaged 
in centrist thought or centrist discussion in the way that you both are. Mm. I mean, why do you think that is? What? Why do you think that there is, uh, perhaps for generally younger people, more of an attraction to the left? I mean, you, you mentioned Jeremy Corbyn there, and obviously it's a great attraction uh, by many younger people, particularly in the early days of his leadership, to him, as opposed to, say, someone like Tony Blair. I mean, why do you think that is? It's the old battle between idealism and reality and hope versus pessimism. Young people that have been screwed by the Tories cutting housing benefit, they've been screwed by youth unemployment going through the roof, they've seen tuition fees go to nine grand a year, and education being decimated, mental health support being decimated by the Tory party, would can't really, would have to then look to a sort of Jeremy Corbyn-styled figure. And, you know, I was attracted by Jeremy Corbyn for a long time. I respect the man. I think he was very sincere in what he believed, would respect his passion on, you know, any tuition fees or nationalising water or uh, reducing poverty, for instance, or, you know, putting proper amounts of money into the National Health Service. And then they'd say, well, that's a clear alternative to what's causing us misery. And that's why they'd be attracted to the left wing. The issue is, is that since Tony Blair and in the United States, since Bill Clinton and in Germany, since, well, no, actually since Merkel, because get, Schroeder was all right, but Merkel was a good community for the centre. There has not been effective communications in the centre ground. You have what, you know, Mario Cuomo famously said, we campaign in poetry and we govern in prose. I think that's a philosophy all have to live by that, you have to, guess you can promise things to people, but don't try and be all things to all men. I think one of the issues with um, left-wing politics and populist politics is the hard left-wing, I'm not talking about the centre-left, which I have a lot of sympathy for because I do consider myself a social democrat, is the left-wing say we can nationalise all energy, the utilities, the rail, the buses, we can have much more in the health service, much more in the schools. We can provide a universal basic income to all the people. We can guarantee jobs to all the people. And we can do all of that by raising the top rate of tax to 50%, which of course is ludicrous. And then the right wing come out with their equal nonsense. And because the center have not articulated their vision sufficiently, People just think that if you're a centrist, you're, you know, red Tory, blue Labour sort of mentality. You must be a Tory in disguise without realising that it's the centre ground where you create long lasting reforms. It's the centre where you bring the best from the left, best from the right and bring it together. So you unify people rather than simply wanting to divide people based on ideology. So the reason young people are not attracted to the centre ground as much as we are is because they, they believe in idealism and because they want hope. And the, centri the centrists are very timid in their communication and not articulated the vision of hope and change in the same way that a Bill Clinton or Tony Blair could easily do it. What do you think, James? Well, I have to agree with you there, but I think I think there's this kind of curve where you start with, I don't know what you call a curve, but you start when you're young, you start off left wing, and when you're old, you start off right wing. Uh, you end up, you end being right wing, basically. Right -wing. That's, that's how most people really work. The older you get, the more right wing you get. And I think, I think in the middle of your age, you know, when you're like the 20s, like 30s, 40s, 50s, you start becoming more centrist. You start seeing this. Uh, same view. I think me and Dad just adapted that earlier. We, we are 40-year-olds in disguise, really. But... <laughs> Uh, so I think I think it really comes down to the point where when did you when not see sense, but obviously you know when when did you start taking on board ideas from the other? Because when because when you're old, you think you're 
well, on all the side 70s, 80s, you think your your ideas are the right. You've done it for that. You've done it for 70 years. That's going to be right. When you're young, you've got no experience. You have no idea what's right, what's wrong. You think well, your ways are right as well. But when, but when, but when you're like in between your 20s and your 60s, you have you've you've had experience. You've you're not you're not in time to your ways. You haven't been doing it for as long as the people who are 70 and 80 years old. So you really, so you really have you really have an idea of taking ideas from the left, ideas from the right. And really combining them into one, which is centrism as a whole. And I think, and I think, as Dow said, as Dow said, uh, the youth uh, who uh, get, got attracted to Colin for the vision of hope, the vision of change. But uh, if you look at 2019, I mean, they obviously they obviously then got attracted to Boris Johnson more more or less because of Brexit and what he was offering. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn wasn't offering this new idea, but the left, if you have the right wing, which is usually which is usually the older the older people. Who and you have the left wing, which are usually the younger people, and then you have the centrists, which are usually like not the middle aged people, but you know the people, um, just just most most people as at all. It's because people move gradually from left to right, and I think it just depends on what time you hit it. And I think me and Dad just hit it before. I think the issue with centrists with young people is that centrists have been conflated with moderates, people who are moderate. I would not describe myself as a moderate. I'm a social democrat. I, you know, there are some views, for example, on law and order or on defence, where my views and, for example, um, you know, my views and some other uh, Theresa May's views or uh, Michael Howard's views would not be that far different. But there are some views, for example, on the health service or unemployment, where my views and, for example, Gordon Brown's views would not be much different. And, and they've said, if you're, a, if you're a centrist, it means you're moderate on issues. No, no, no. It means you believe that the right have got some good ideas and the left have got some good ideas. There are some mm. issues where you have to be the centre ground on. The economy, you have to believe in the mixed economy. You cannot have a total dominated state-run, top-down, command and control economy, nor can you have the private sector running the economy. It's a mixed economy. On education, you have to have it mixed. On things like welfare reform, you have to be in the centre. You know, you can say on the one hand that, we must have generous benefits for the old, for the disabled, for the young and for the working poor. But equally, any all able-bodied people should be required to have a job. And if they can't find a job in the private sector, we give them one in the public sector. You know, the centre is not one where you say, oh, I just have a lack of opinions. It's saying it's a concept, forgive me, it's a concept of maturity. That can you accept that ideological purity is a farce and I know now that the CLP, my party, are probably going to lose it with me now for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways. And that whilst the Labour Party have got some amazing ideas, and I joined the Labour Party when I was 14 years old, so I'm, you know, no one can doubt my credentials, but most people agree with Labour on health, education and unemployment, and most people agree with the Tories on taxes, on welfare, on defence and law and order and labour with the environment. So if you can get, if you can, once you come to that realisation, then you can have a proper mature discussion on, okay, how do we now achieve the goals of policies that the people want? Mm-hmm. And I think centrists are the best to do that. Mm-hmm. So how then do you think you take um, parties towards centrism, the Labour Party or the Conservative Party? Because, I mean, you've set out there in terms of centrism saying that, you know, most people agree with Labour on the NHS, welfare reform, the environment, etc., and the Conservatives on taxation, defence, etc. But obviously the other halves of uh, that are parts where the Labour Party 
perhaps disagree with the public or the Conservative Party perhaps disagree with the public. So how do you uh, make both of those two parties, those two major governing parties, somewhere more in a line with the public, more in a line with a, a, a centrist position? So the Labour Party, how do you get Labour? Labour has to, I mean, look, Keir Starmer is trying to take Labour to the centre ground, but he's doing that by trying to be, in my view, uh, going to the centre on unnecessary issues. Labour has to remain on the left on the NHS, remain on the left on education, uh, remain on the left on unemployment, but go to the centre right on things like law and order. For example, we have to support mandatory minimum sentencing, 10-year mandatory minimum for all violent crimes. We have to support three two strikes and you're out for repeating offenders to ensure that sorry three strikes and you're out for repeating offenders that those who repeat violent or fraudulent or filthy offenses get locked up in if they do it three times they're locked up in prison for an interminable sentence life imprisonment we have to support our troops therefore increasing defense funding we have to support increasing the number of our troops we have to support tax reform you know, cutting the tax rates, income tax rates, and also closing loopholes and deductions. So, for example, uh, with income tax, low, uh, having ensuring that the first fifteen thousand pounds is without taxation, fifteen to twenty-six thousand pounds, ten percent, twenty-six to forty, fifty thousand pounds, fifteen percent, fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand pounds, twenty-five percent, one hundred and fifty to a quarter million, thirty-five percent, and a quarter million above forty percent. Corporation tax, uh, 12, 15, 17, 19. Uh, national insurance, we keep it the same, but then equally say we've got to fix the capital gains loophole, we've got to fix the uh, financial transactions tax loophole, we've got to have a carbon tax. So you cut rates, you close loopholes. Um, it also needs to go on to the end of it needs to focus on education, it needs to go more on the resources end rather than the union end. And I'll defend the unions till my last breath. But in education, we have to look at, for example, how do we bring technology into education? Why don't we have iPads to replace iPads and Kindles to replace textbooks? Why don't we give people laptops? And why don't we have cheap Wi-Fi so therefore students can't access the internet, a world education library, for instance, and have teaching assistance? For welfare reform, we have to think bolder, okay? I uh, developed a welfare reform proposal that basically says this. Let's rethink welfare completely. Let's say if you are disabled, if you are elderly, if you are working and poor, and if you are a child, you are guaranteed, guaranteed welfare benefits because you are clearly uh, not autonomous. You can't provide for yourself because of age or for disability. That's understandable. We have child benefit of £30 a week. We have EMA for the children at £30 a week. Uh, for the elderly, we have to, I'll come to the elderly in one second. No, in one minute. Uh, the disabled, we, we abolish PIP and have a flat. We have a three hundred, four hundred pound a week payment, but we mean we affluence test it with a we reduce it by forty pounds a week for the for every ten thousand pounds. We cut off one hundred twenty grand, so that way the poorest get the most support. Uh, for the working poor, we abolish universal credit, we abolish all current benefits, and we have a flat subsidy where we provide 35% of the housing costs, 35% of the food bills, 35% of the utility costs. And we cap it to £100 for the food, £600 for the rent, and uh, well, £1,000 now for the utilities, or maybe even £2,000 for the utilities. And you ensure people that, know, that every person has a decent way of life. That way, and also for pensioners, you say we guarantee the current state pension because it's the Maori right thing to do. But then for the younger people, we look at a sort of Chilean system where people can start saving, whether it's 5%. If people put, if people put away 20 pounds a week in their, 30 pounds a week in their own savings account and the government puts 30 pounds a week with them, 
So it's 60 pounds a week by effect. And you put an 8% rate of compound interest and it's 21 to 65. That person from age 65 to age 90 is going to have over 400 pounds a week for their pension. That is a higher rate of return. You fix that by having a government security. So therefore you can never raid the pension fund. You can never touch it till you retire and the government can never touch it under any circumstances. And you can't invest into the stock market. It's just a pension that grows indefinitely. So we modify that with pension contributions. That's how you look to the future for the Labour Party. We have to say, yes, we are a centre-left party. And both of those words have equal value to us. You know, we do know that without the unions, there would be no Labour Party. That Anirin Bevan gave us the NHS. That they are, there are great political left-wing... Uh, Tony Benn is a formidable figure. I personally like Tony Benn a lot but we can only win as a centre-left party that looks to the future, not the past. Now, for the Tories. The Tory party has to abandon the culture wars immediately. Immediately abandon them. I said to James the other day that the culture wars is an excuse for stupid people to engage in politics. The Tory party has to abandon its sort of right-wing populism. It has to, I advise the current contenders, Liz Truss and uh, Rishi Sunak, to read up on Rab Butler, to read up on Winston, to read up on Harold Macmillan. So these were immensely talented figures, okay? The Tories have to accept the NHS, they have to accept education, they have to accept uh, the welfare state as a concept. And they have to accept that there are some industries that belong in the public sector, health, education, uh, welfare, defence, um, uh, water, electricity and the railways and the buses. Now, once they've accepted that, you create the consensus, a political consensus that makes politics far more stable. I think that the biggest crisis po politics, not the people, but politicians are going to face is the rise of anti-establishment nonsense and the rise of populism. The idea uh, to quote to quote St. Paul, you try to be all things to all men, which is a completely ludicrous concept. So if I was in the, if well, as a Labour Party man, I'd say we need to stay on the left on health, education and welfare, but go to the right on things like taxes, law and order, defence. And if I was a Tory party person, I'd say we need to stay on the right on taxes, law and order and defence, but go to the very much the left on health, education and welfare. Yeah, well, I think I think the thing is with the parties, as you said, uh, the, well, the question was how they move to the centre ground over time. Yeah. I think they would just naturally do it because every vote that's taken away from Conservatives, that's, that's from a Tory voter to a Labour voter, is a vote taken away from the Conservatives. So Conservatives will gradually become more progressive. And vice versa, every vote taken away from a Labour to Conservative will become, they'll become more, they'll go more centrist. And I think it just happens naturally. I think uh, at one point, at the one point, Labour had one constituency in one election and now, and now, now it's got 200. And, and at one point, Conservatives had very few constituencies in that, and now it's got 380 or however much it's got. It's got 365, thank you, Dad. And, and, I, think, and I think that, um, I think it just happened naturally. So what happens is these Conservatives and Labour were never, weren't really the big parties. It was Tories and the Whigs. And then people's views changed. People started for voting for different people. And then, it, then the Conservatives came into power. And then, then, then the Labour Party, then the Labour Party came into power, and I think it's this back and forth of the. And over time, we become more and more centrist as progressive view because I mean the Labour Party were an extreme left party, and the Conservatives were an extreme right party. Now they've become almost 
non non uh, non recognize unrecognizable to the um, parties that they once were. And I think and I think over time, over time, what will happen is eventually they'll become pretty much not the same party. They'll obviously have this. Uh, they also have different values. But every what as as Dow said that there, there will be stuff that the Labour Party will always stay left on. And there will be stuff that the Conservatives always say right on, which the Labour Party might not agree, and the Conservative Party might not agree. But that that be the biggest issues that will be because the Conservatives will always be uh, will always be against the unions. The Labour should always be pro unions. So and then that 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 will always be a difference. It doesn't matter how centre should go. All, that will always be a difference between the parties. And but there will be like the NHS. The Conservatives will eventually have to go to more Labour views, and Labour vice will always have to go to more. May, uh, some people might say more conservative views on when it comes to law and order. So mm. I think I think what needs to happen is that over time, every vote that goes to and fro the parties, like might go to the Lib Dems, is then policies mm. that they take on from the other ones. That, that's why like the 2019 manifesto is completely different to the 2017 manifesto and the 2015 manifesto. It's because they're all different parties, all changing their viewpoint because of yeah, the votes of that happened in the election. Oh, hold on a second. But don't you think the base politics is destroying politics? The idea that you've got these stupid campaign managers that say to politicians, you must play to the base. That if you're a Labour Party spokes, a Labour Party person, you must go to the left wing because that's what the members want. And if you're a Tory, you must go to the right wing. Because that's what the members want. That I mean, this is, first of all, America. Because in America, they have it where you'll run up your votes by having the base come out for you, which is completely stupid of a system. But don't you think that's destroying politics? The idea that the Labour Party are no longer wanting to win over... Well, no, no, one second. That's not fair. The Tories don't want to win over Labour voters in the same way that uh, Winston did, that Macmillan did, that Heath did, that Major and Cameron did. Well, I would, I would argue in 2019, when it came to Boris Johnson, he, he won over predominant, predominantly Labour areas who voted for Brexit. He won over lots of voters there. That was on the Brexit route, not on the Labour, not on the Labour view. And we haven't had a and 2017, 2015 just uh, were just shambles for the Conservative Party, really. So I mean, um, so I think I think what I think what really needs to be um, be established is that the people shouldn't be trying to go to the people in the party because the people in the party are always going to vote for your party. It doesn't matter. The Labour Party will always members of the Labour Party will always vote Labour. Members of the Conservative Party will always vote Conservative. There's no point trying to appeal to them. Obviously, keep their values, keep keep the core values of your party. I'm not saying go away from that entirely, but I think, but you need to appeal to the electorate. And the electorate, if they can to and fro from Conservative to Labour, must be in the centre ground somewhere, because otherwise, I mean, from going from a left party to a right party, you must be in the centre. The greatest political myths is that. Winston Churchill was a right-winger. He wasn't. Winston, when he was in the Liberal Party, was developing state pension. He, he was supported the beverage reforms. And it's true he didn't back, back the NHS because the Tories voted... <clears throat> it's... It is true he didn't back the NHS because the Tories voted against the NHS 22 times in 1948. Is that Winston was a centrist? He was. Macmillan was a centrist. Butler was a centrist. Disraeli was a centrist. Heath was a centrist. You know... These people were politically huge in the Conservative Party, in the Labour Party, you know, uh, Herbert Morrison, Clement Attlee. These people were centrists. You had, you know, George Harold Wilson, Jim Callaghan, Roy Jenkins. You had uh, Dennis Healy, you had John Brent, Tony, Tony Blair, you had Gordon Brown, you had Alan Milburn, Jack Straw. Centrists is what's remembered because ultimately that's how you win elections. You cannot win elections 
if you are on the far left, far right, because ultimately you don't make power. You don't do things that are long lasting reforms because ultimately the other parties will overturn them. So if you govern in the center, as James Baker famously said, if you, what is it? I believe very strongly you have to govern in the center and you win elections in the center because that's the only way you can make lasting change and not from the fringes. Absolutely. Now uh, we're coming towards the end of the podcast and it's been great to have both of you on. And I have one final question for both of you. If you could meet any politician from history, from any age of history and convince them to do an episode of the Big Issues podcast, which politician would you pick and which subject would you pick to talk to them? for the podcast oh my god what a question right james you have to answer it i'm generally i'm going to think okay well i i mean this is this this might be boring to some people but i would pick harold wilson and ask him about education because he he did he did very good educational policy and i'm and i'm I'm quite passionate about the education system nowadays i'd like to see how much you'd be upset about the educational system now if you got to see it but um yeah i think i would i think i would get harold wilson on and ask him about education well, I think that's a great answer. I mean, is there anybody else that you might be tempted to to ask about any topic you could think of? I know it's a very broad question, but I'd be uh, yeah. interested to yeah. see any other any other suggestions. And you've also got you've also got you know the classics like Winston Churchill. You know, asking about the war and how mm-hmm. you know that you, that's that's an obvious answer. You've got. I might I might get Tony Blair. I mean, there's a good, mm-hmm. there's a good answer. Truthfully, I'm asking about the Iraq oh, war. Actually, happened there, but yeah. um, but if I, but I do I do think there's there's too there's so many politicians to pick from throughout history that have been that have been unbelievable. George Washington, another one that stands out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, War of Independence, the founding of America. That'd be another interesting podcast. If I could get any politician from the UK in our history to come on the podcast. It either be Lord Shaftesbury, who did the Factory Act and therefore ending uh, women going down mines and children going up chimneys. If it's a modern day politician, it would have to be Gordon Brown, because I would take great pleasure in talking to Gordon Brown about welfare reform, because he's a very, very, his values are rooted in fairness and just opportunity for all. In the United States, however, Bill Clinton would be top of my list for any podcast, easily, easily be Bill Clinton. I mean, I mean, where would I begin with Bill? Would I ask him about his botched attempt to fix social security, the his attempt to fix healthcare, the 23 million new jobs, the you know 23 million new jobs, the lowest crime rate, the highest rate of un- the lowest rate of unemployment, lowest rate of poverty. I could talk about the well. I could talk about the Kennedy Casenbaum bill. I could talk about the balanced budget act, the five budget surpluses. I could talk about why he did why he repealed Glass Steagall, and therefore caused a U.S. banking crisis along with Mr. Bush. Um. I could also get Al. I could also ask Al Gore to come on the podcast. I could get Barack Obama and ask, ask him why he's such a dreadful president. If I could get a Republican on, it'd have to be either Barry Goldwater or George H. W. Bush. Goldwater, because I'd ask, how do you take over a party and make it into a different view? Because of course he changed the Republican Party from being a very much a centrist party to a right wing party. And H. W. Because I'd like to ask him how how he felt to win the Cold War. So there you are. I think that's a, that's an incredibly comprehensive list and a, and a very varied list and people that I think would be fascinated to have on uh, a podcast to discuss all the uh, the topics 
that you mentioned. Thank you both for coming on um, the podcast. For people who want to hear more about you, listen to your own um, very detailed and, and very expansive podcast, where should they go to find out more about you and, and to hear your podcast? Okay, so we're on we're on Instagram, the Big Issues Podcast. We're on Spotify, the Big Issues Podcast. You can type in the Big Issues Podcast, Dowd Khan, and you'll get the podcast with me and James Roxburgh. We're on Google Podcasts, though. I, I mean, you, you, that, that there's some age restriction of over eighteen age restriction. I think it's because I write the content explicit because I have it because of my swearing. Uh, but primarily, it's Spotify. Do give us a follow on Instagram. We upload uh, once or twice a week. Primarily, it's Friday. We, we prep on Friday. We, rec- we record on Saturday. We upload on Saturday. And we do an episode on the United Kingdom politics. So this week, we're talking about the trade unions. And should the Labour Party always defend the trade unions? Me and James will say yes. Harry's going to say no. That'll be an interesting argument. And then next week, we're doing an episode on President Bill Clinton, because we've done a president series in the USA, you know, going from Roosevelt all the way to Bill Clinton, all the way to uh, President Biden. In the UK, we pick out issues that are current affairs or issues that we find fascinating and just have a very long discussion. I must warn the good listeners, episodes range between an hour and a half to two hours. We literally, a lot of it's just, well, me, and a lot of it's just James. Me and James having a very long, interesting discussion. Don't get us talking about US constitutional law, whatever you do, because that, that will lead to a, a very heated <laughs> argument on constitutional law. But yeah, we're on Spotify and we post episodes on Instagram so you can get episodes of notifications. But yeah, follow, give us a shout on Spotify. Excellent. Well, thank you once again for both coming on the podcast. Thank, thank you, you very much. much. Thank you for having us, Will.